Welcome to Dead Headspace. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which includes Alexa. All you have to do is tell Alexa to play Dead Headspace podcast for the latest episode every Monday and Thursday. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, and alongside me, as always, is Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And a returning guest host, writer, reviewer, and the most colorful star in the galaxy, Cassie Daly. Hi, Cassie. Hello. Today we're talking with author, reader, reviewer, and an all-around boy and Chico. Please tell me I didn't fuck that up. An all-around, you nailed it. Uh, all-around good guy, Gabino Iglesias. Hello, sir. How are you doing, uh, lady and gents? I'm going to throw this on you, Cassie. Would you like to ask the first question? <clears throat> Usually you tell me when I'm going to do it first. I yeah, know. I've, I've got this. <laughs> there was, um, it's a new type of show tonight. We're just winging it. Yeah, that we're just going with the flow. It's fine. Everybody's anxiety is super high, so we're just going to have fun. Um, so, Gavino, tell us a little bit about what got you into horror. I just, I was a weird kid. Uh, weren't we? Weren't we all? And uh, I just uh, I came across a couple of books that I shouldn't have read probably at that age. And uh, I was just hooked for life. It was a combination of uh, encountering literature that made me profoundly uncomfortable in a variety of ways. And then um, getting the writing bug and writing a horrible story uh, when I was probably in seventh grade uh, where uh, a neighbor of mine had a illegitimate child that was deformed and mutated and they they hit the kid in the uh, in the basement and the kid broke out uh and slaughtered uh, half of my neighborhood <gasps> at the time i didn't know that when you do that shit you should probably change the names uh, <laughs> so i turned that in uh at school and my parents got called uh, and from that day on i was like this is what happens when you when you tell a story uh, I want to do this for a living, and I've been trying to do that ever since. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So you were you've been reading and writing since you were really really young. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess everybody starts with like comic books, and then uh, I found uh, I was out on my bike, and I found a a box. Somebody in my neighborhood had died, and uh, the, uh, the the widow had thrown out a box of young adult versions of. Um, of uh, adventure novels and uh, by Jules Verne, and I just, I picked that up and um, I got hooked immediately. So after that, it was like, all right, I can't afford it. So where can I steal books and uh, <laughs> get some more of this stuff? Um, yeah. Who else has to die for me to get some more books? Who else has to die? <laughs> That's right. Also, they call you the most colorful star. And when he said colorful, there was like a pregnant pause. And I was like, this is awesome because we're going to talk about her hair. Uh, but then we didn't. <laughs> I hope at some point we, we veer the conversation uh, in that direction. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. We have a so whole can- segment dedicated to hair just for all Sweet. of us. Just uh, Except you, actually, actually, I uh, find that very uh, offensive and I take it as a personal attack. <laughs> so staring to cassie uh, let's talk about your hair real quick gabino what questions do you have i i remember uh seeing it at instagram photo and uh thinking her hair had i was you know i have an old crappy phone and i was like how is she getting her hair 
to blend into the background. <laughs> uh, I was outside. It was very sunny. I couldn't see. And then, uh, uh, you know, I, I walked past a little bit of shadow. There was a little bit of shadow. And I saw the photo. And it was her hair in front of her uh, multi-colored uh, Stephen King collection. And it wasn't her hair blending into the background. It was a different thing. Uh, and I've been a fan of her hair ever, ever since. <laughs> I think it's my hoodie, too, because I have a rainbow hoodie. And I stood in front of rainbow. I think you have a rainbow, rainbow, rainbow everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's my thing. Because <laughs> it makes me happy to see. So you get, like, a little mood boost every time you look in the like, mirror, just, like, catch a glance of all your books on the shelf. It's nice. <laughs> have right. any of you seen any of you guys ever seen a double rainbow because i saw that for the first time this summer and i was i was mesmerized like double <laughs> luck um, <laughs> brendan why don't you jump in buddy uh are we done talking about the hair because i have stuff to add there yeah, I um <laughs> I, I mean I, I i would certainly just put in you know all about that positive boost i mean when it's just me and you patrick i mean we depress our guests we're just we're <laughs> awful just we we bring cassie on to uh add that little extra bounce and and that that smile and that double rainbow so i mean I, do, do you guys want to talk about cabino or just cassie no that's we're here for him not my character <laughs> I love them That's both, what you think. So I will <laughs> talk. Surprise, Cassie. <laughs> Actually, Gabino, I want to go back. Uh, you talked about books that make you uncomfortable. Like that was kind of your immediately caught your attention. What were yeah. some of those early books that, you know, you remember making you uncomfortable and like how so? Uh, you know, when we think about horror, we think about fear. Uh, but I, I was I was never fearful of monsters. It was always real life stuff that that scared me but uh for me successful horror makes you feel unsettled uh it's not necessarily fear it's kind of like i don't know what's going on and i don't like it i don't feel comfortable here to get me out uh and when we get to that point as as horror readers what we do is uh i'm uncomfortable i don't feel good here get me out no 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 just kidding give me more uh <laughs> and uh Probably the first book that that made me feel that way, page after page, uh, was Richard Lehman's Endless Night, uh, which is just absolutely brutal in, in typical Richard Lehman fashion. Uh, you, you have physical abuse, you have murder, you have folks, you know, slathering themselves with like human fat that they took off a corpse. And I was like, I don't know why, but th this this is so twisted that I don't want to read about it and I can't stop. Um, so that, that worked for me. I read a whole bunch of, uh, those like four ninety nine cheap Bentley little, uh, <laughs> paperbacks and, uh, you know, the association, the neighborhood. And I was like, this is how rich people live, you know, in those neighborhoods that, <laughs> <laughs> that you, you can't go in there and that this is why, cause they're all freaks like this. Uh, and it, and it made me uncomfortable. Uh, there's a scene in the association where, uh, you know, somebody has to be sworn in. And I was like, this is what happens in corporate America. They have to drink the Kool-Aid and they have <laughs> cults. Uh, so, yeah, those those are a whole bunch of them. Uh, 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 Brian Keene's uh, Ed, uh, Darkness at the Edge of Town uh, was one of those that I was like, I don't know why. <laughs> but the, 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 the sense of like creeping dark closing in, uh, it was a metaphor for a lot of things that I was, I was feeling uh at the time and that that one touched me too i was like jesus christ this is so 
Uh, it's I don't know what I'm fearing because there's no monsters. There's nothing absolutely horrible happening. But the, that impending sense of doom is is right there. Uh, and then I discovered Lovecraft and Poe, and it was just game over. Um, <laughs> as, as a horror person for for life. What about I'm gonna throw a curveball. What about crime? Because um, you write uh, I don't know what you write more of horror or crime. And they I always view them fair to say they're cousins. Um. They go hand to hand often. What was the first? Do you remember the first author that was a crime author? Typically, that you were just like, I, I gotta try this. So it was probably uh, inherited. Uh, Paco Ignacio Taibo is a, is a Mexican slash Spanish uh, writer who writes. Um, he writes about uh, crime in, uh, in in like in city and gives you a tour of you know the the underbelly of the city and it's it's the classic smart cynical you know hard drinking whatever uh pi and uh i found a couple of those novels and and got hooked and i soon realized that uh the the type of books that i could find for horror those those really thick cheap paperbacks uh were also available for crime and you know you could you could find them even for cheaper. So it was uh, James Patterson, Jeffrey Deaver, Michael Connolly, Patricia Cornwell, uh, all of those standards, and and they got me hooked because I understood there was sort of a there was sort of a formula. I I didn't find them immediately as a, as creative or as wild as as a horror fiction because um, I I understood there was a formula, but at the same time. Uh, there was no supernatural elements usually, so it talked about people. It talked about individuals who were completely sick or were serial murderers uh, or, uh, you know, were turned to a life of crime because of, uh, you know, it was a crime of passion or revenge or because they were broke. Uh, and that spoke to me, and then that led to deeper, darker, uh, better crime fiction and uh, at one point, I stopped sort of seeing the difference for a little while. It was it was all the same thing. It was about exploring uh, the the darkness of, of humanity. Um, just one more question. That's fascinating. I've I haven't heard of. Uh, I'm gonna fuck up his name. The first off you mentioned, but oh, does he, oh, yeah. Does he is there? Does he write in English or is there an English translation? He doesn't, but everything has been translated. I, okay. I recently turned in a, an essay on his work for crime. Mm. Uh, that should be out at some point this month. Uh, but everything he's ever written is is available in, in English. Perfect. Um, so S.A. Uh, Cosby, I was curious if you read Blacktop, uh, Wasteland, and yes. if you did, what you thought about it. I, I read it. I loved it. I reviewed uh, that book for NPR. Uh, it's We often hear about, you know, X amount of experiences in crime. Uh, we don't hear about enough crime writers as uh, as we should. Mm. And, and when you talk about that in conversation, everybody just jumps up. They're like, you know, Walter Mosley. It's like, yeah, there, there's more folks, uh, even though Walter is a freaking genius. Uh, but I read Black Tub Wasteland. It was not only uh, sort of like the perfect book for our times. It was not only the perfect book for the uh, BLM movement. It was also here's hardcore a uh, uh, true to the bone, very humane, uh, black slash Appalachian crime. Mm. Uh, 
dig in. And I had I had read his previous book, which is very good, My Dark Prayer. Uh, but this was on another level. I think that's mm. what Flatiron uh, put it out because it was just another level. And and whatever Cosby is bringing up next will be probably even better. That's amazing because that is a book that Brian and I are going to be diving into. I think Cassie actually is too. All three of us are going to be diving awesome. into that. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking to Sean. He's our last guest of this year. So that's cool. why I had, I had to ask you, man. Uh, you're the yeah. guy that I would listen to on this one. Yeah. All right. So if he if he's listening, fuck you, Sean. You're too good. <laughs> <laughs> Brennan, go ahead, man. Follow up that. <laughs> too, too, straight up, too damn talented. No, I, I, you know, pretty much everybody I've seen put out their opinion on that book. Uh, you know, expresses it kind of like you did, and just on on another level, not just hey, this is a really good one, or it's it's engaging. It's it's on another level, and I'm I'm really excited to dive into that. Sweet. So. I wonder, you you know, it sounds like most of your early experiences with reading kind of cycle around genre fiction, uh, kind of as you put it, the ones that you can get the cheap paperbacks of. Um, yeah. I want to know what your opinions are on literary fiction. And I'm, and I'm mostly asking because I feel like your work, especially Coyote Songs, has that kind of polish to it that it could easily be classified as, you know, it certainly fits into crime. It certainly fits into horror elements but it it the way it's written reminded me of something that you'd find ca- classified into literary fiction right that's a uh, that's one of those conversations that i try not to have when i'm drunk because uh, i tend to yell <laughs> a lot uh, but i'm sober now strangely enough because uh, god knows we should be drinking today uh, but no i shaved i took a shower and i stayed sober for this thing so uh Let's have that conversation in a mellow voice. Uh, the, the, the thing is, we, we have this sort of understanding of, you know, this is genre, uh, and then here's where literary fiction starts. So we can crack jokes about literary fiction being about some straight white guy wasting daddy's money as he looks for his, for his place in the world uh, while gentrifying Brooklyn. And uh, it's, it's 300 fucking 50 pages of a book where nothing happens. Uh, but he walks around, he has a couple of cigarettes and he talks about women and stuff. Um, and qu- quotes Bukowski or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's so when, you talk about, <laughs> when you talk about the, the pre-writing, that thing that we associate with, uh, um, with literary fiction, like the poetry and the cadence and the rhythm and the beauty. Uh, so who, who are your favorite literary uh, fiction writers? Brian Evanson, Stephen Graham Jones, uh, Jeremy Robert Johnson. Uh, is our, this, this magnificent set of writers that come at genre fiction saying, whatever literary fiction can do, we can do better. And we can do better while telling you a superb story. And we are the children of pulp fiction, you know, of, of zombie novels and, and, and superhero comics. And uh, it's it's a thing where uh, I don't like the word craft, but that's the one that everybody throws around. Writing is a craft. You try to get as good as you can at it. Um, and, and in that process, you just write better. And then it gets to a point where uh, people say like, oh, this is literary fiction. And then you go like, it's a fucking ghost story. Uh, there's a woman with a c- couple of machetes hacking people to pieces. What are you talking about? That's as pulp and, and as genre and horror as it gets. Um, 
So yeah, see, I didn't have to yell or scream. Literary fiction, <laughs> uh, literary fiction it's, it's just this thing that uh, I think we're using nowadays more for marketing purposes because, you know, you're going to read Black Tub Wasteland. There are some stunning lines in that novel. Uh, if you read The Only Good Indians, you, you read some paragraphs and you go like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to take a break, <laughs> grab a glass of water. I'm going to read that page again. Uh, it's it's heartfelt. It's poetic. It's beautifully constructed. It's literary fiction, except there's like some supernatural element or some there's a gun and some, you know, a kilo of blow in the middle of that, which makes it <laughs> genre. Um, but, yeah, let's let's keep having that conversation sober. I think that we should uh, get you back eventually and all of us should be drinking. That's I'm I'm so we can do a celebration podcast <laughs> for your next book. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Your people call my people, and it just so happens I am my people. So call yeah. me. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a message on Twitter. That's what that boils down to. Nice. I like that whole thing about uh, how. How, how it's uh, for marketing purposes, because, you know, and I could be wrong. You might have examples, but I'm just thinking all of a sudden, like, is there an independent literary fiction community like there's an like there's an indie horror community? And the answer to me seems like no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any, anybody have different thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, I'm not an expert here because I didn't even know the indie horror community existed until like three years ago. So I'm like a little newborn baby. and I'm just (laughs) happy to have found it. (laughs) I would argue uh, if you look at a solid example would be two dollar radio. If you look at the stuff that two dollar radio is putting out uh, or if you look at half of the stuff that uh, the now defunct uh, lazy fascist press was putting out, like Scott McClanahan, and you know, uh, if, if you look at that type of stuff, you could say there's a small literary fiction community <laughs> uh, that goes the indie way. But at the same time, when you talk about two dollar radio, you're talking about major distribution, you know, superb names. So I don't know if if what we're talking about when we say indie. Uh, you know, some of the indies in horror are we're talking about people that set 200 books a year uh, and have no money for marketing, no, no, no arcs, no launch. Um, and, and the books for two dollar radio are books that I get like three or four months in advance because uh, <laughs> they they have that kind of coin. So uh, indie, yes, at the same level that we see, you know, horror fiction and, and, and crime fiction, really, really small uh, Broken River books is like a one man show. Uh, so that when I think about indie, I think about Broken River. It's like we, we get mad out in Australia to do our covers. Uh, but then JDO is doing editing. He's doing layout. He's putting the book out. It's, it's like a one man show. And I don't think uh, literary fiction has that. Might be wrong. Well, you know, you know more presses that would almost fit into that than I did. You, the presses you named, I've, I'm not familiar with those, so that's my uh, ignorance and me willing to make a statement that I have absolutely no way to back up. So. <laughs> Dead space has I'll be, no I'll be, yeah. with I'll Brandon be completely LaFaro honest anymore. about that. This is how I feel. This is my opinion, and I yeah. have nothing to back it up. So, <laughs> which speaks to just how small those communities are that they don't uh, 
you know, they don't reach out. The only reason I think I came across Lazy Fascist when it was a thing uh, is because it grew under uh, Eraserhead Press, which oh. is like, a, you know, everybody knows Eraserhead. Yeah. Uh, so one arm of Eraserhead was Dead Eye Press. Uh, they're still active. They're Dead Eye exists to this day. And then Cameron Pierce uh, started Lazy Fascist Press and they put out Brian Allen Carr. Uh, they put out uh, Scott McClanahan. They they put out a whole bunch of amazing books and then uh, vanished. So that sucks. Yeah. So uh, Cassie, do you have anything to, that you want to throw in there, or uh, if not, I'm going to jump into Zero Saints because I kind of want to. So I have a genre question actually. So so since you have written mostly horror and mostly crime. Um, is it ever going to be in your future that you branch into things that are like way different from that? Like maybe like sci-fi or fantasy or things like more into those elements, or do you think it'll be still more focused on darker stuff or even those things with darker stuff? Oh, I've, I've always been curious about sci-fi. A lot of people would consider uh, at least half of my, my first published book got mouth. Uh, They would consider that sci-fi. It's in the future. People are, you know, heavily modified, uh, there's there's DNA tweaking, all that type of sci-fi stuff. Uh, one of the future novels, I don't know, the next three or four novels, is kind of a it's kind of a noir sci-fi. Um, so yeah, I would I would like that. Uh, also, I mean, I need to write a fucking romance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, with like shiny vampires in it, um, like blood but, and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, those, uh, those other genres have always appealed to me, uh, you know, kind of like sci-fi, uh, but I don't see myself writing fantasy or romance anytime soon. There's just so much that you can do with, with horror and crime and, uh, you throw in a little bit of magic realism and then you're, you can, I'm, I'm set for, for a couple more books. I'm, I'm still got places to go. That's fair. Yeah. I was going to say there is actually a lot of like magical stuff in Coyote songs too. So yeah. You kind of went into the fantastical element a little bit there. It's literary fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so for Zero Saints, um, that was my first book that I've ever read by you. What I really liked, and I think it falls more on me just not being aware. So again, ignorance. I am no longer associated with my own podcast, by the way, due to this statement. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I I've never read a english-based book where it's also weaving in a foreign and by foreign i just mean non-american or non-english book where they weave in the language and it's not in italics or it's not like pointed out that it is a foreign language it's just it is what it is and i mean different areas where i grew up in massachusetts uh there's this one big city named brockton um there are I don't even know how many different languages. It's kind of neat going through different supermarkets because you just hear different languages. <laughs> I don't know what the hell yeah. they're saying, but I can pick up what it's what the context is. And based on my few years in school uh, learning Spanish and me not doing super well in it, I still was able to follow along. Right. And I really loved good. that. I loved it. And it made me want to learn Spanish again. <laughs> So oh, I, I didn't really have a question uh, with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it boils down to your uh, your going to the market comment. Like that's that's what it's like walking around New York City or uh, walking around L.A. It's just 
you you hear it in in the streets. It doesn't really matter um, if you understand or not. It's it's just you can walk around New York City for a couple hours and hear four, five, six languages. Right. <laughs> uh, and when it came to Zero Saints, uh, I'd already written a, a mess of a novel that was like 130,000 pages. Uh, obviously, that's not going to see the light of day anytime soon. But uh, I found myself as a non-native speaker uh, thinking of, of lines that sounded somehow decent in my head. Uh, and then I translated them. They sounded like fucking garbage. <laughs> uh <laughs> And when I got to Zero Sense, I was like, you know what? If it sounds good in my head, if it just comes out naturally uh, in Spanish, that's how it's going to stay. Um, and then, you know, when I talked to JDO about, you know, he was interested in putting the book out. I said, uh, we're in Texas and so we have to say italics. Uh, I don't want italics. We're not doing italics. We're not going to authorize Spanish Um because the book is, is written, you know, with people that, that speak Spanglish. So we're going to keep it all the same. And right. he said, yeah, love that idea. Let's let's roll with it. Um, that said, you're one of the few people that uh, actually kind of enjoyed it. So, you know, yeah. the, the, the feedback on that has always been divided. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's there's a collection of, of one-star reviews on Amazon um, nobody gives a shit about the Russian or the, the little bit of Yoruba that's in there. It's always the Spanish that makes people angry. Uh, I, so, I, I yeah. think I, you're from Puerto Rico originally, right? Yes, sir. Okay. I wasn't entirely sure, so I was kind of making an assumption. So you're, <laughs> um, that's your native language. So why the... <laughs> So that's that's a little bit of a dickish <laughs> comment for people to be like, why are you writing your own language? Like, fuck off. Don't read it then. That's so well, the weird. Is, you're, you're, I'm you're sorry, dude, for, but for you know what country we're in? Market, right? <laughs> right. You know, Speak American, man. <laughs> you know what? Brennan just made a good point. Yeah, we're in a country where a guy that's literally like Hitler – is uh is very close to winning the presidency for four more yeah. years. So yeah, good point, Brendan. Yeah. And, and and I I taught uh English to um English language learners, undocumented workers for two years, and most of them had better grammar than the president of the United States. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's a sad story, but yeah. And this is a little bit going off topic, but and this will be old news by next week when this comes out. Um, but I just read before we started recording that he uh, he's already going on a game plan of what the second term is going to be like and is announcing it to try to trick everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's like the onion. He, he won. According to him, he won Nevada, Arizona, Ohio, Kentucky, Narnia. Uh, <laughs> just, it's, he's won like 78 states so far. <laughs> he's, he's got it. Brennan, well, real quick, before we get back on track, why don't you tell us a text message that you sent about uh, the Narnia thing? It was, oh, my, it was uh, my, my wife's going to absolutely love me, including a story about how she took an edible before bed on election night. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, she, she hit the hay early and, you know, I, I sent her uh, updates about how they uh, called Mordor for Trump and Narnia for Biden and, <laughs> Um, she didn't really know what to make of it, but, um, personally, my, my favorite going back to what you guys were talking about, rather than, you know, Trump claiming this state or that and the other thing, I, I kind of liked, uh, 
Anderson Cooper's claim that Trump uh, was floundering like a turtle rolling around on its back. If you guys haven't seen that one yet, that's a winner. <laughs> An obese turtle, he said. An obese turtle in the sun, yes. In the sun. <laughs> uh, Cassie, you want to jump in? Um, I was just going to say that I, well, I mean, I guess back two subjects ago before the Trump stuff. <laughs> I also really liked um, that there was Spanish in it because um, growing up, like my family on my dad's side spoke Spanish and my mom's side is was very not about that. And they, she got really mad at him for teaching me. So, um, but I can still read it. And that's like my, the easiest way for me to get it because I can't really listen super well and understand. So when I was reading it, it took me like some of the sentences I would read without even realizing that the languages had switched. And I was like, Oh, I just know what this means automatically. Yeah. And I really liked it. And it was like, I don't know. I know this is sound stupid, but it felt like a little like a level up. I was like, oh, there's a thing that some people can't do this. And I'm doing this here. So it's like, I was like, oh, this is like an extra layered book. I love it. <laughs> you know was, what? There was no question. That was it. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not drinking now because I I'd get really pissed. I'm, I can't move past certain points. And one of them is the whole comment about people getting stuck on you writing in your own language. That makes me think of people that refuse to watch foreign films because they got to fucking read or they right. want it dubbed in. Like it, yeah. there's no, there's no question there. It's just, <laughs> it irks the shit out of me. Um, just a rant. <laughs> yeah. Just a rant. But Keep there going. Is, I love it. <laughs> well, there is one part, like I really enjoyed uh, Zero Saints, but there's one part that really just God's honest truth. Um, it, it made my heart break when you wrote about La Frontera, the border. Uh, yeah, I knew all about, you know, all the bad shit that happens. But, like, do I really? I'm a white dude from the East Coast that's never been that far west. And my parent, my ancestors came over in the early 1920s from Ireland and Italy. Um, presumably oh, legally. Yeah, presumably legally. But who the fuck knows? I, I don't know. Um so I got my whole point is I got no clue. I'm a middle class, very privileged kid. When you wrote that, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Well, it makes sense. It really irks me when I hear a fellow American just start talking about immigrants and how they should stay in their own country. Like, what are you talking about? Like, like I went meet my wife when Americans were allowed to a few years ago through a cruise. We were allowed to go to Havana, Cuba. Um, that was an eye opener there it, it was almost too much like my anxiety was in overdrive uh there were beautiful buildings that were just not taken care of due to government owns everything there's still fidel castro stuff everywhere it was strange so when you wrote the la Fortera stuff you emphasize the point over and over again nothing you don't brennan and i talked about this a lot you don't waste words whether it's you your editors a team effort whatever the case is you still wrote them and uh I was so I had such an impression by that that I actually um, this is so weird but I'm working on a YA fantasy and that La Frontera it has nothing to do with the border or anything it's not even earth based but I um, wrote something similar like the same emphasis on one thing that actually gave it something I didn't think had a meaning a meaning so I gotta thank you for that because it's a weird way to connect the dots but. <laughs> I gotta thank you for both reasons, making me realize how bad it is. Don't fake me. Just send me an arc. <laughs> if I get published one day, sure. When you get published. Well, that's the good, spirit. Yeah, yeah. Gabino Iglesias reviewing my book would be amazing. Um, 
Do either one of you want to jump in? If not, I got it from here for the, the uh, rest of the show. I, I would add one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're not even needed. We can just, me and Brennan can just go. It's just Pat and Gavino right now. Like, that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no I see how it is. <laughs> I, I had one more comment on um, on the use of, of language in that book um, and kind of a follow up question. Now, I, I thought that, you know, the addition of Spanish added an air of authenticity because I am very, very far from that area of the country. But from what I understand, like it's extremely common for people to just rotate back and forth between languages uh, yeah. exactly like you wrote in the book. Is that just kind of the way people speak to each other in that area? So there's like two two realities that that folks who are not living that that reality just ignore. Uh, the first one is for people who have a very strong native language, uh, like me. You know, 20 years of my life, I, I had no need to to speak English on a, any regular basis. Uh, you you do code switching. You know, you might think about certain things. There, it's impossible for me to think about home. You know, my mom, you know, home cooked meals, my childhood, uh, camping at the beach throughout all my teens. I can't think about those memories in English because that's not how they happened. Um, so so when we go back and we talk about those things, we tend to code switch and then we, we do return to our native language for, for a certain amount of things. Or just because sometimes, depending on your on your English skills, you might be in the middle of a conversation and you for, just forget a word. It's like, I'm not going to stop talking just because I forgot a word. I'll just throw it in Spanish, which obviously I remember and keep going. But what's even more interesting is that places like California and Texas that have always been uh, in between places, to some extent Florida as well, you have newer generations who are already U.S. born uh, for whom there's no code switching because they have one gigantic language where uh, I know this is a book, but it's also a libro because that's what my grandma calls it. So I have this one enormous language where things have two, three, four, five names and I make no distinctions. And from time to time, I'll throw one in. And then I know that maybe I'll need to keep those out when I'm talking to you know, my white friends from like Nebraska, uh, we're not going to get it. <laughs> um, so they, they, they don't even code switch. They have all of it. It's, it's this gigantic thing on their head. Uh, but for us, this is a reality. Uh, I, I've never met an old non-native speaker um, female in the, in the United States who prays in English. They don't go, our father, or him. No, you, you learn to pray as a little girl in Spanish. That's how you're going to do it till you die. So that was that was part of it. Yeah, the prayers. I mean, like I, I read those all, and I could pick out because I remember when I was learning Spanish as a kid in um, in school, and I was like, I can't believe I'm remembering some of the shit. Yeah, it, it was cool. It's, now this it, may be if, too. If you're still you know, yelling "Oh God," and it, it's not, it's a non-native speaker, and they learned to pray in Spanish, and you hear them say "Oh God," you're probably watching porn. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Now, now, uh, I, if feel free to tell me to pass on this, but Santa, uh, Santa Mirta, Mir, am I saying that wrong? Mirta. Yeah, my wife. When I was reading this out loud, you saw the picture. <laughs> yeah, Gavin. I don't know if you two saw it, but my son looked at the cover of. It, I'm jumping to Coyote songs now, but. Um, I was reading both, and and when I read the Spanish part, uh, my 
my son was just like smiling at the cover, but my wife's like, your Spanish is awful. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so I apologize, but for for Santa filling the words, um, do yeah. you is that something that you personally pray to? Is that just in the uh, forgive my possible wrong choice of words, but in the mythology of the Spanish religion or Catholicism, right? So I was I was lucky enough to to be born and raised in the Caribbean. So I, I grew up in the in the heart of of syncretism in the world. Like mm. it was it was voodoo, uh, Santeria, Mesa Blanca, Paloma Yombe, uh, uh, Santa Muerte. It was just all of it. And then when I moved here, uh, I, I realized that I sort of got in touch with communities that had brought uh, a lot of Santa Muerte into into Texas. Now I live in Austin, which is not it's not the border. Yeah. Uh, so I knew I was getting this slightly lesser version of, of whatever goes down uh, in places like El Paso. Uh, but it was still strong enough to have botanicas and to have people with, with Santa Muerte tattoos. And uh, I can go to my local fiesta, which is like the in here. They call it the ethnic grocery store. And I can buy right. Santa Muerte candles. Right. Uh, so it, it's still strong enough. And that. That appealed to me a lot my first couple of years here. So uh, I, I think growing up in the heart of syncretism, you you, you develop the ability to just uh, sort of get along with everyone. <laughs> You're Jewish, fine with me. You're Catholic, <laughs> all right, we can hang. Um, as, as long as you focus on whichever part of your religion focuses on love instead of hating the other, uh, you know, I'll fuck with you. And uh for for a couple of years there before writing Zero Saints, I was really into into Santa Muerte and, and studying its impact here in the U.S. and, and talking to people who were uh, practicing on on the daily, and uh, it just worked itself into into Zero Saints. And then I think a little bit not not I'm not forcing you out of Zero Saints, but you mentioned Coyote songs. Uh, it kind of have the same thing happened in Coyote songs with uh, with the Virgin. It's like. Suddenly, I, I tapped into these communities that were all about the Virgin and going to the grotto and lighting the candles. And I'm going to get the gigantic Virgin tattooed on my chest. And uh, uh, I think Santa Muerte doesn't even appear on that book because it was it was an entirely different vibe. Yeah, cool. Um, I don't know how to follow that up. That's just interesting. <laughs> oh, and, and thank you for the photo uh, of, of your kid laughing at the, at the, at the cover because that made my day. Oh yeah, I didn't. I my yeah. wife probably got sick of hearing about you because I was like, uh, this guy's <laughs> really pretty fucking cool and blah blah blah. And she's like, I, I appreciate that. it. Yeah, man, I absolutely. appreciate your dishonesty. <laughs> no, you do have a you do have a solid readership. Um, George, uh, I don't know his last name, but he's a hardcore reader, big Paul Tremblay fan. That guy, I think he loves you more than all three of us combined, though. <laughs> I just. Uh, it makes no sense to me. Somebody who reads Paul might dig my stuff. I'm like, I'm always surprised. Uh, <laughs> Paul's modest. a fucking yeah. It's it's Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, as somebody who's read both of your books, I can tell you that both of you are like very very good, like such good writers, and the books are amazing, both of you. So you you shouldn't be discounting yourself or discrediting yourself at all because I definitely hold you like way up there with some of the best writers I've ever read. There's no question. That's just another rant. Now I have to live up to that. Thank you, Cassie. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Just rainbows. 
<laughs> Something that I do love about you, though, in all honesty, and you can't discredit this yourself, is your hustle. You talk about it often. Um, that can branch into so many different ways. So I'm just going to baseline it. Where's your drive come from? Just, there, there's no point in, in not doing things. That's <laughs> why, why, why the fuck are you here wasting oxygen, man? Just do it. Um, nobody's gonna do it for you. Nobody cares. Uh, it's I wrote a book. Great. Are you gonna hustle and try to sell it? No. Well, congrats. Your mom's gonna read it. Uh, in my case, I don't even have that option because she doesn't read English. So. Uh, I, I didn't even have those those uh, sales secured. I had to go <laughs> go from book one. It was it was uh it was entirely on, on my my shoulders. Uh, it's you find that one thing uh, that you want to do and then you go at it. Uh, it's it's a lot of people say they don't understand. I I used to tell uh I I gave a workshop for for the. Um, lighthouse writers uh in in denver and uh i talked to them about this very short video uh about a man named eddie hall who's one of the uh, best uh, power lifters of all time and he was the first human to deadlift a thousand pounds and uh, i saw a video about the aftermath he had brain bleeding he collapsed after the lift uh he, he was having seizures the next day his brain didn't work right um and then at the, at the end of that whole, you know, short documentary, uh, they're like, well, Eddie, would you do it again? And he goes like, would I do it? I almost died. My brain had bleeding. There was bleeding on my brain. I had seizures. I didn't remember my brother's names for like 48 hours. A fucking course I would do it again. And I would add 20 more pounds. So that's the, that's the drive we should have in, in anything in life that, that you um, – that, that you really want to do. You just mentioned uh, reading with, with, with your kid, man. Like you can't half ass being, being a parent. This is it. You, you, you did this thing. Now it's, you're in it for life until you yeah. die. Uh, and, and you're going to do it to the best of your ability. And, and it will come before your other interests. Uh, it's always the kid first, whether it's money, food, happiness, you know, security, whatever it is. Uh, if you apply that to everything that you truly love, then there's no reason to not not feel that hustle as soon as you wake up in the morning. What the hell am I going to do today to make this thing happen? And uh, the, the beauty about writing is that you have this thing called making it. And then it always jumps like, what am I going to do? I need to get that first short story out done. Well, now I need to move on to the second. Now I need a novel. Now I need the next novel. Now I want more writers. There's there's no stopping. Like there's a reason why Stephen King still putting out books he still has something to prove you know (laughs) he's still out there doing the thing uh and he's not struggling to pay rent so uh if he's still hustling uh, you probably should too (laughs) (laughs) the before brendan and cassie jump in those are great points Uh, i do notice a trend with a lot of authors that i talk to they find a weird pitfall that's how i'm using that word for lack of a better word um with promoting their own work, whether it's that they are just um, very much so shy or that they seem it seem to find it to be like a um, way of kind of coming off the wrong way. But you have and I'm not insulting you at all because I'm going to be the same damn way. You have no issues <laughs> with that. Like just today, you were just like there's a sale on Coyote songs and Zero uh, Saints. Uh, what, av- what advice would you – Besides what you just said, which I think is 
the answer, but do you have any additional advice to those newer or maybe <laughs> seasoned authors that are just shy about it? Yeah, I, uh, I teach a, a workshop titled uh, Book Marketing uh, with No Budget. And uh, the, the, we start with a series of truths. And uh, the first devastating truth in that workshop is you wrote a book. You put, you put your time, effort, your talents, you, you put your, uh, uh, your time. Uh, you, you took time away from doing things that you enjoy in life to work on that book. And now it's out. And guess what? Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a rat's ass about your another book. Jesus Christ. Uh, we got Hulu and Prime and Netflix and politics and sports and significant others and a stack of bales that looks like a stack of pancakes. Fuck your book, man. Ain't nobody got time for that. Um so it's your it's your job after you write it and the thing is out. It's your job to say, hey, this is an escape from reality. This is a good thing. I had something to say. It's good enough to get published. You should totally read it. When you wake up in the morning, you have to set you know some kind of standard for yourself and say like, today I will try to get one new reader. I got 24 hours to do it. Let me try to get one new reader. Maybe they hate it. Fine. You know, they tried it out. You should be thankful. Uh, but maybe I have a, I have a reader that's going to check out my next book. And that's how you build a readership. Uh, if you you write your book and you sit at home, you wait for people to discover it, which is one of those things that I keep hearing about. <laughs> like the book <laughs> will find its audience. Fuck you. The book ain't got no legs. The book's not going to do anything by itself. It's like I have an Etsy store. I haven't told anyone. I'm sure people will find it. No, they won't. <laughs> there's there's a billion Etsy stores. You need to tell people about it so they can find it and go there and invest their money. Uh, so this whole thing is like, yes, be humble. Uh, yes, be honest about what you're offering people. I've, I've never hidden the fact that there's a ton of Spanish in there, uh, that it's incredibly political and incredibly violent. Uh, but if that's your thing, come on. I got I got pages for you. Come spend some time with me. Um and and that's uh, that that's how you do it. It's it's not. I don't see any other way. Uh, I don't think any other way uh, fits unless you have you know a marketing department behind you doing all of that work for you and spending thousands and thousands of dollars getting you uh, put putting your book cover on the side of the bus and getting you ads on TV and and taking out newspaper ads. Unless that's happening, it's all on you. So go out and do it. I, I got one final story to kind of piggyback off that. 2014 was when I made my only um, self-published no, novella. Uh, it's no longer available because I pulled that piece of shit. But <laughs> I was just so thrilled. I remember, I don't know why this specific scene, but me and my wife were in the liquor store after I hit publish and it was on Amazon. I'm like... These motherfuckers don't know who they're around. They're around a published <laughs> author, author. I can't talk. And no one read it. <laughs> one review. <laughs> so, yes, I agree. It's just like there's so many choices. Books in general, the most successful ones, they're competing with everything you just said. Hulu, Prime, Amazon, fucking Disney. Disney's yeah. everywhere. How is Disney legal? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think it's really important what you're saying, too, about how you just have to keep doing it. Because, like you mentioned, Etsy, like, if I don't constantly post stuff, like, all the time, I will not make any sales ever. Like, I, I, I just can't do it. Like, nobody's going and searching, like, 
horror rainbows on their own. Like that's not a thing that happens. And I mean, I'll get a trickle from like Etsy's advertising and stuff. Um, but it's so rare and it helps so much more when I do stuff. And I think that's another thing that some authors who are self-publishing or, um, who are just not super familiar with getting the word for their books out there are afraid of, like they're afraid of annoying people. They're afraid of coming off as like, Oh, I think I'm so good because I'm sharing my book a bunch of times, but it's like, no, like we need you to do that. Like statistically people will not even see your advertising the first time around. Like there's like that whole thing in advertising. That's like the law of sevens where you have to post things seven times to get maximum visibility for it. And that's just for one thing. And that's like for a day, like <laughs> it's just, it's bananas. So I applaud you for your persistence. And I think more people should do that because it's, and it, what's so good too, is you don't just do it for yourself because you post those things and you're like, Hey, tell me about your books that you're writing. Tell me about the things you've published, like yeah. spread the word. And that's such like an amazing yeah. thing. Like you contribute in like, instead of just taking, which again, no question. You're just, we love you. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> love you bad, Cassie. <laughs> I told you guys I was excited for this and I was like, I love his books. I tell people to read coyote songs all the time. <laughs> we, I think we, we come into this. Every writer that I've ever met was a, a reader first. Uh, and I, I cannot imagine the size of your ego. Uh, if you're reading your own shit. So like I, I need other books, right? <laughs> I need, uh, I'm always reading. I'm always reviewing. I'm always buying. I'm always retweeting. Uh, I'm not going to read my own books. So I, I need a whole bunch of books. I, I need at least 200 books every year. Uh, gimme. Uh, so I need you to write them. It's not, I'm not going to go read my own. Uh, <laughs> you write it. Uh, and I'll support it because I want you to make a living at this thing and I want you to, to go out and write some more. Uh, so whenever a, a book by one of my, my favorite authors comes out, um, I'm immediately asking, where can I get a review copy? I'm going to pitch it to all my venues. Let's do an interview. Uh, let's keep you well fed and, and in the public eye so you can actually make a living at the thing that you love because I love reading your book. And here's the thing. I love them so much. I'm going to get it. And I'm going to devour it in like two, three days. And now I need a new one. Uh, so I'm going to turn to another writer. And uh, if, if we don't support other writers, then uh, we're going to end up just reading the newspaper, which are almost not not a thing anymore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I like how you managed to take, you know, your encouragement of other writers and you building up people within the community. And you you tried real hard to put a selfish spin on it. You're like, I'm only building people up so because I I want more. It's for me. All for me. <laughs> it's all about me. So yeah. It's the best kind of selfishness, honestly. Well, this is your episode. I think Cassie should jump in and, and give Fugs a little info on the Etsy store right now. <laughs> <laughs> there are rainbows. You guys know what's in there. Actually, oh, I have a question for you, Gabby, you know. How of does course. it feel to be in a coloring book? Oh my god, that's so <laughs> awesome. I'm a werewolf. You are, uh, indeed. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm a good looking werewolf. Like the werewolf side's more, it, it looks better than my human side. So I was glad to see that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's also a little less hairy, uh, which was surprising. Uh, but I'm in there with a whole bunch of amazing writers who I'm also lucky enough to call friends. Uh, and everybody should get a copy of that. I don't know. Do, do you have copies of that left? I do. So what I switched to doing actually is because people, I was getting so many messages from people who would miss it and it would sell out and I feel so bad telling them no. So what I'm doing now is I'm actually placing an order every Friday for books that were 
ordered that week. And then they usually take like two weeks to get to me. And then I just ship them out. So they're yeah. like, in so stock. people should get on it now if they want it uh, <laughs> time for Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't intend for this to be such a episode about my hair and my art. You guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the hair is not for sale, but the book is. No, they, no. I like to keep it. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine like little listings in my Etsy, like special edition, a bit of Cassie's hair? I I read uh, earlier this year about this woman who was selling uh, bottles of her bath water. Yes. Oh, I follow you. She made so much money. If you you can cut up some hair and and get some freak out there to give you $500 a piece for for some of your hair, uh, more power to you. (laughs) Go do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's entrepreneurship I can get behind. Yes. (laughs) Okay. You guys ask an actual question now. Yes, is Gabino going to be in the uh, sequel to the coloring book? Well, I don't even have the sequel planned yet because I'm doing the final girls one. So they're going to be like horror movie Mm. girls from, yeah, from obviously from movies. Um, There's a list of 20 of them. So that one's coming out in the spring. Nice. Who's the first? Um, Well, I mean, I don't know what order they're in, but I have a bunch of them. Like I have, um, oh God, now that you have have the the, uh, grandmother of final girls. What? Ripley Scott, man. I mean, oh, not I Ripley. I do. No, I not Ripley Scott. No, definitely I said not Ripley Scott. <laughs> I gotta shut the fuck up. Run and ask questions. <laughs> that's that's not a lady. Out. Oh my god. Uh, 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 Jamie Lee Curtis has to be in there, right? Yes, she is in there. Okay, so I pulled up awesome. the list just for you guys. So Sally Hardesty from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Um, I have Danny from Midsummer. So I have some older stuff and some more recent stuff. Um, nice. Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Ellen Ripley is what I think you meant to say. I 100% <laughs> meant that, and I, I said Ripley Scott. <laughs> um, I have, uh, I'm sober, by the way. This I, is bad. I was going to ask. I was going to be like, are you okay? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a it's, a it's a mix of girls and I'm excited about it because I think it'll be fun and it'll be a lot of blood, I guess. They'll, hopefully their red coloring pencils are sharpened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how to me. So, well, I actually did want to go back to the reviewing thing. Now, um, I know there's a shitload of examples of like super famous uh, authors that also reviewed uh, or critics, whatever. I don't know. The, those are interchangeable words to me sometimes, but I know that I know there's a difference, but I, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, for example, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and the other one was uh, Mark Twain. Uh, you obviously amongst um, many others uh, within the horror community. So my question for you, because I'm a reviewer, but like you're you're getting paid to do it for big platforms. Um, how, how do you approach reviewing a friend's book? And it could be the same exact way I do it, but how do you approach reviewing a friend's book or something you really like or whatever, but maybe you don't love the book. How, how do you do that? Or if you do love the book, how do you go about sounding like you're not kind of being biased? There's, there's this, uh, I guess you just switch hats. Uh, for, first of all, there's there's this understanding. This is uh, I used to be a high school teacher for the past two years. I lost my job on June first, um, so most of my bills right now I'm I'm paying with uh, with reviews. You know the the hustle, the the freelancing. Uh, I'm not going to put my career in jeopardy. 
uh, talking about a book that sucks as if it's <laughs> brilliant because I know you. Uh, that's not gonna happen. I'll, I might, I might send you an email first and say, "Dude, you dropped the ball so hard." <laughs> <laughs> um, let me take a look at the next one before you put it out or change editors because uh, this one fucking sucked. Uh, but I, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. So usually, what I try to do is for really big venues like like uh, NPR, for example, I can't review uh, Paul Tremblay for uh, NPR. Uh, I would love to, all right, but I, I I have a relationship with my with my editor. We're brutally honest. She knows who has blurbed my books, and it's it's a conflict of interest. So you know, 100% of the stuff that I review for NPR are it comes from people that I don't know. I've never talked to you. We we're not connected on social oh, media. Fuck. You're just a stranger. <laughs> uh, for the rest of all my venues. Uh, for example, San Francisco Chronicle, it's it's more or less assigned books, uh, so I don't know those people. And and the people that I do know, it's usually I know you produce quality work. Uh, any good book reviewer will probably find something amazing about your book and something that could have been better. If I can mention both of those things, you're going to be happy because you have the pull quote that you wanted. And uh, people who respect me for, for what I do and respect my word as, as a reviewer of you know more than a decade, uh, they know that I, I pointed out something to you. I said, you know, this character was one dimensional or your dialogue was a little long winded or you had like three info dumps in there. I will critique you uh, on, on the weaknesses of the book. Um, if you can find those things. Uh, then you don't have to worry about anything. You know, writers are just glad to get reviewed anywhere. Uh, so you, you can drop a couple of lines about how one element was not that strong. Uh, and they'll just read the, the lines that they like a couple more times and it'll ease the pain. <laughs> uh, you're good to go. You're good to keep doing what you do. <laughs> now, if someone wanted to join uh, one of your workshops, where, I know I know where it is, but where and when could they do that? Uh, there's a link in, in Cassie's Etsy store. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's not. Uh, uh, look me up on Twitter. Uh, whenever we're about to start, I'll put the info there. If not, uh, my last name, Iglesias, I-G-L-E-S-I-A-S, Iglesias Workshops, at uh, Gmail. And then I'll send you all the info on whatever will be happening in an upcoming week. Uh this week we're not doing one because I I, uh, I was teaching workshops through other people um, for two weeks. Uh, those require uh, weird arrangements for me during the week because uh, I taught one for the uh, Writers League of Texas and uh, the you know how to write violence and uh, that was six hours. <laughs> oh. So I had to prep uh, a class on top of a class on top of a class. Uh, to be able to, you know, talk about writing violence for for six hours total. Uh, but whenever that's happening, just just uh, I'll announce it, and uh, we get together, we party. You you bring your own beer. Uh, you know, drinks are strongly encouraged, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, we just have fun. I like talking to people about writing. Yeah, what I've am actually, I? But sorry, sorry Cassie, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I've actually taken one of his workshops and it's it's really good. It's like I had like three pages of notes afterwards and it, it wasn't even like it wasn't a six hour class or anything like that. Like <laughs> it was it was like tolerable for somebody who has a short attention span like me but also wants to learn. <laughs> 
stuff. So I really liked it. He's a good teacher. Thank you. Yeah, my, my friend uh, Rich Gerlach said that uh, he enjoyed it too. Um, he told cool. me a little bit about it. Yeah. So I've heard nothing but good things. I'll jump in. Uh, That's what so I was waiting for. Gener- <laughs> how do you generally decide on a topic? Do you just kind of like poll everybody, see what everybody wants to do? Or do you see what kind of you're working on and what you think you could really bring to the table? Yeah, no, I don't care about what people want. Uh, that's not that's not my concern. That's their concern. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I I started back in June uh, because between June and November of last year, uh, I was I was lucky enough to give about five or six uh, keynotes on on diversity, other than as you know, diversity in publishing, and uh, I spoke in Houston, and I went to Marquette and. Uh, that they, they flew me out. Becky Spratford uh, flew me out to Chicago to talk to like 400 librarians, and it was awesome. Uh, and then I was uh, I was in a writer's room in New York City, uh, probably between the end of November, beginning of December, and I was uh, it was like 2 a.m. and I was having a moment uh, on, on a dark New York City street, and I was like, I'm going to travel so much in 2020. Uh, <laughs> And then 2020 said, fuck you, you're not going anywhere. Um, and in June, I was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. I have to take all of this stuff that I really wanted to talk about, turn it into a workshop uh, and convince people to to come hang out with me on Zoom and, and have these conversations. Uh, so that first workshop, which is uh, writing, uh, I'm sorry, otherness in fiction, getting it right, uh, was born out of all the material that I that I had prepped for uh, for keynotes and for essays and for academic writing. Uh, then I really wanted to talk about things like violence and, and writing horror fiction because I read so much horror and sometimes it is done uh, in ways that I think could improve. Um, so that that became the second workshop. Um, then a lot of people said, like, when the hell are you going to teach uh, others how to write book reviews? And then that became the third workshop. And then it just grew from there. Uh, so yes, I was joking from time to time. Somebody will say like, Hey, uh, I enjoyed this particular element of your work. Can you put a workshop together on, on how to do that? Uh, I've, one of the things that I say in every single workshop at the beginning of it is, uh, I will not teach you how to master anything, uh, because you cannot master writing. You just try to get a little better every time you do it. Um, so yeah, I, I listen to people. I, I look at my own work, uh, the few elements of it that I feel comfortable with, uh, or that I've sucked at it long enough that I've that I've done done a lot of work uh, into researching how it's supposed to be done. Uh, I'll just throw um, enough to to fill two hours and uh, you know give you assignments, and then we get together and hang out. <laughs> that sounds pretty <laughs> awesome, actually. Uh, Not a bad gig. <laughs> No, um, I definitely have talked to you about that, but I want to join one of those in the future. So I Anytime. actually want what, – what's that? Anytime. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've read quite a few of your articles, but my favorite one, and I didn't read it when it was originally posted. You uh, like retweeted or something. It's on uh, – was it Clash? Yes, Clash.com. Ten types of authors who can go fuck themselves. So I'll, I'll just say the the my favorite one, uh, the title of it, um, which would be number uh, fuck. I thought I had it. 
he came authors prepared. Who, it's number eight. Authors who don't support other authors. That's a really big, important one. And you don't hold back. He's <laughs> super blue language. Like, if you think every other author out there is your enemy, you can go fuck yourself. That is riddled throughout this article, and I love it. And it's because of articles like that, before you and I really started talking, I was just, like, kind of nervous. I'm like, oh, God, he's going to tell me to go fuck myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm very much so accustomed to, so that would have been okay. <laughs> no, now, just, uh, we're, we're, we're so touchy with what we do. Writers are just a weird bunch. We all are. Uh, we're, we're a little emotional. What we do is kind of strange. We... We lock ourselves in, in tiny dark rooms and, and think about horrible stuff and, and dig you know dig deep into our soul to dig out our traumas and put them on the page. Uh, but from time to time, you you will run into people like that. So, hey, every other author, I, I need to I need to sell more copies and I need to be louder than them. I need to do this. Listen, are you not reading books? Because what I want is for everybody to make Stephen King money. And then we can all be happy and get together and eat tacos and donuts and drink good whiskey. And that'd be oh. awesome. That's the dream. Oh, uh, yes. The holy trinity. <laughs> but from, from time to time, I'm, I'm not I'm not known for, for holding back. That's not a thing that I'm able to do. <laughs> so, so some people just don't have that filter. I'm sorry. We're, we're just wired differently. And I'll, I'll wake up and I'll feel the need to uh say something like that and for that particular one uh which is no longer available i think um in that format because clash uh died but it went viral it was received a gazillion hits in the first three days i was getting angry emails (laughs) People were doing YouTube videos in response to it. Like, writers who write this type of list can go fuck themselves. Um, And I was like, like, you're so angry, and I find it so funny. Uh, And at the end of those, each one of those ends with the same kind of invitation. Like, if you feel the need to reply to this, because one of these really insulted you, uh, you know, you, you, you should probably go write something instead of just being angry. Um, I don't I don't care about your anger. Um, I got other things to worry about. Uh, but those are funny. Um, I have a lot of fun <laughs> pissing people off from time to time. <laughs> so I remember um, that going up, too. And, you know, um, or at least I remember you retweet, re- retweeting it and. Saying something about how you got a lot of grief from it. But, you know, oh. that's all coming from people who were on the list. You know, right. if you're mad about it. Guess what? It's because you're in there. <laughs> it's, and that's the nature of Twitter. Like, if I log in and I say, you know, fuck racists, and you take it personally, I, you have two problems now. <laughs> like, first of all, you're racist. And second, you are you just told everybody. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not with you. Like, you know, we should we should chop off the hands of every sexual harasser. Well, wait a goddamn minute. Buddy, you just you just came out and you told a lot of people a lot of things uh, without saying much. Uh, so yeah, if, if if I say horrible people should go fuck themselves, and you come out and, and start defending horrible people, uh, you're very easy to read. <laughs> I think that Cabino should be the spirit animal of this podcast from here on out. <laughs> I, I think he's got. I think you've got a lot of uh, you, you've got a lot of ideas that really need to kind of spread throughout the country now. You know about <laughs> defending and defending certain types of people and being uh, 
being being offended about you know um about not liking certain horrible things I don't know how much sense that makes, but, you know, if you come out and you say this is bad, if racism is bad, like there's no, well, there just, there just isn't, there is no well, because if you uh, have a retort to that, other than, yes, I agree that racism is bad. Um, I'm afraid you have a problem, you know, whether you, whether we are face to face or you're over Twitter, that's an issue, man. (laughs) That's you, you, like I said, you got two problems now (laughs) and, uh, you, you brought them on yourself. Um, and and I think uh, Sadie Hartman was was saying something today about uh, in the past four years, uh, writers have been very critical of the Trump regime <laughs> and uh, have spoken their mind continuously. And, uh, uh, you know, Ellen Datlow, uh, superhero Ellen Datlow, uh, got in that conversation. Joe Lanzill jumped into that conversation. Uh, there, there's a difference between just you know that that article that you just mentioned that was just me having fun and writing is a self-imposed cancer like nobody's making you do this if you're so unhappy about <laughs> being a writer uh go drive a uber or you know start a start another different business uh but uh those of us who speak our minds in terms of politics it's it's how many dozens of followers am i gonna lose today because i'm, I'm speaking my mind because i say uh, i don't know trans women are women uh, I'm, I'm going to say that and then 10 people are going to disagree with me and unfollow me. Well, this, I don't need those followers because you're probably not going to enjoy my work. You don't you don't align with my politics and you literally uh, hate my friends, all my trans <laughs> friends. So, uh, you know, fuck you twice. Uh, get, get rid of let the Let the trash take itself out. Um, but it's, it's that thing of the, of the defending. It's like, you know, if you're transphobic, you're going to F off. Well, it's a slippery slope. Because, no, it's not. Racism is bad, but there are certain times. No, there are no certain times. Uh, That's just you trying to be a horrible person and and, and not face it. Uh, There's no point in time in which racism is okay. Uh, And if I say so and you get angry, again, you got two problems. And uh, uh, COVID will be over at some point, so feel free to come see these hands as well. And, you know, from your perspective, especially like you, you said that, you know, I'm not going to miss those followers because they're not going to support what I do anyway. Like, well, you know, it's if you don't like what I'm tweeting, you are really going to hate what I have to say in this Coyote Songs book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and you hate all my black friends and you hate all my Latino friends and you you hate all my queer poet friends and and my trans writer friends It's like this isn't a this isn't a place where you're going to have a lot of fun. So, uh you know, the, the Tiki Torch crowd is right around the corner. You can go hang out with them. <laughs> I wish we could just sound clip that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my question. Just can we sound clip that part of it? <laughs> I thought there was more By to all that. Me. <laughs> It's all you. So I'm curious, how would you get hooked up with Lit Reactor? Uh, Lit Reactor. Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> I think I approached them with a pitch. Uh, Joshua, I think uh, I emailed them a pitch, and uh, I did a couple of essays, and then I did. Uh, at the time, they were still doing book shots, which was a very awesome format of, of book review that just you know 
you did different lines and answered different questions. Uh, and then at some point it became, I got an email like, you know, lit reactor writers uh, are going to uh, pitch on this emails, blah, blah, blah. And here's the, uh, here's the documents that you need to fill out to get paid and stuff. And it's, it's been a long wild ride. There's this weird hatred for lit reactor that I've never understood online. I don't want to dig into it. Uh, everybody from, from Joshua to, to Dwyer to Rob Hart to everybody that I've dealt with at lit reactor has been nothing but awesome to me. So um, I keep pitching wild ideas and they keep saying yes. Uh, so I got one coming up. I I said, I'm I'm stuck at home. I want to do a, I want to make fun of all author photos. So can I do like cliche ridiculous author photos? I promise you, I'll take all of them and and I'll send the photos in. And that got accepted. So you know where else am I gonna pitch those ideas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they got uh, another col- uh, columnist, Max Booth, who is pretty goddamn yeah. funny. I can't tell when he's being serious. Nobody can. Max, Max is that guy. Uh, he'll start talking about Stephen King and then he'll transition into something with the same tone of voice and he's just trolling. Uh, and I think he does that very well at, at the lead reactor. Um, he's just most of the t- half of the time he's serious and the other half you don't know. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Brother Cassie. Nope. All you. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to move on to what are you currently working on? The uh, uh, Nothing, nothing, because the new one is done. The new one is done. I worked with a fantastic uh, editor. There's more news on that coming soon, but she was um, – she was a senior editor at uh, Doubleday for about a decade, and that, oh. was, that was an awesome experience, and uh, – she uh, she sent me a thing called an editorial letter, which I had never received in all of the books and short stories that I had worked with different editors. Um, and and I was I was kind of I wasn't happy because you're never happy with anything that you write. And then as soon as it gets published, <laughs> you fucking hate it. But I was I was somewhat uh, content with what I had accomplished because it was done. And, uh, you know, it was it was sort of like, all right, this is this is solid. Here's how we're going to make it better. And now now I'm at that point where, uh, let's say, on like half of the days of the week, I'll I'll wake up and I'll think it's good. Uh, Don't ask me about the other days, but half of the days I think it's good. (laughs) So I'm I'm excited to there's some major announcements um, coming up regarding that one, which is the longest thing I've written uh, because the. after people were done complaining about all the Spanish, the second normal complaint is like, they're too short. Uh, stop writing novellas and write a novel. Um, you know, screw your three jobs and just get to it. <laughs> just write more. Uh, so, so I used uh, my unemployment, <laughs> uh, my being unemployed time, because uh, the state of Texas never play, paid me unemployment. Thank you, state of Texas. Uh, but I, <laughs> I used that downtime to... Uh, to add another 45,000 words, and uh, it's sitting now after edits at around 95,000 words. Um, so nice. news soon, but that one is done, and that one will probably see the light of day, uh, I guess, at some point, 2021. Um, I don't know. The world is weird right now. <laughs> you got a publisher already set up? 
for that. <laughs> I uh, here's one thing that I want right now: a publisher with um, distribution. Um, I a lot of people think I'm, I'm poor. I've, I've never made a secret of that, but a lot of people think I'm poorer than than dirt because when I travel places, I have to carry my own books so my luggage doesn't contain any clothing so i rock the same shirt for two days at events <laughs> because i have to get my own books there uh so hopefully the next publisher will be slightly bigger uh which will allow me to get the books into more places and uh you know the, the kind of company or, or the kind of publisher that can get me into like a whole bunch of really cool indie bookstores, which don't carry small indie titles because they consider those a financial risk. And uh, we can't hold that against them because, as we know, indie bookstores are barely surviving. So yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, support indie bookstores. Uh, so that's the idea for now. Um, we'll see where it goes. Very cool. So can you tell us anything about, you know, plot or genre or... Anything at all. We're just picking I'm away. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the darkest, saddest, most depressive thing I've ever written. Uh, I'll give you the first line of the novel. Leukemia. That's oh. it. That's <laughs> how it starts. Wow. It starts out rough. And you know and, what, man? And then not it cool. gets rough. <laughs> That's dark, sad, and depressing. Yeah. I mean. And then it gets worse. Uh <laughs> You should have it's, warned it's, us. <laughs> it's about a man who uh, is grieving a horrible loss and uh, loses his job and that forces him to do a whole bunch of bad things uh, that get really weird really quickly. <laughs> uh, and then obviously it's horror. It's it's crime. It's um, I don't know what to call it. It just I want to make people cry. Uh, so we'll I like see. to cry, so I'm excited to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I think we were at a workshop. We were talking about uh, you, you can do horrible things to make people happy. Uh, like for example, nobody's crying because John Wick's puppy died. We're just glad we got three movies out of it. <laughs> so so that was that was the driving idea. It was like I'm gonna kill some fucking kids. Why not? Let's make people happy. Um, so hopefully it works. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully people will be in a better mood when it comes out uh, that we are right now. It'll be a better, brighter world. Uh, if not, just pile your darkness on top of more darkness. <laughs> we love so, listening to sad songs when we're sad, right? So I'll give you grieving literature <laughs> for your grievances. Um, it'll be fun. So the pandemic has not slowed you down, it sounds like. It it has lit a fire under me because it was suddenly like, you know, for for two years working as a high school teacher, I knew I wasn't going to be a millionaire, but I knew like these are, these things are covered every single month. I'm going to get my check, and, and these things are covered. And then uh, I lost my job in June. Last check came in in July, and then it was like, all right, buddy, what now? <laughs> how, how are you going? Are you going to go out and get a job at a restaurant? <laughs> Think again. Uh, there's this is none of those. And uh, and suddenly it was like, stop worrying about being unemployed because every single other person, you know, is also probably unemployed right now. Uh, and things got really dark for a little bit. So I was like, this is the time. I'm, ne I'm never going to have this amount of time uh, and also being home. So that was the only plus side to not 
uh, not being out and about. My my friends' tour got canceled. Uh, I was going to teach workshops in Canada, and that got canceled. So I was like literally at home. Uh, so the first 45,000 words uh, of this new novel took me about 10 months to write. Mm. And then the, the second half, the, the, the second 45,000 hours probably took me seven weeks to write. Wow. It was like, all right, it's go time. Sit down. There's no more excuses. Uh, you're not tired. Uh, I don't have to write in sprints during during lunch at school. Uh, sit your ass down and get it done. Um, so it was it was productive in that that sense. Do you have a specific sort of like writing schedule or something that you keep to when you're trying to finish something? I I don't have a schedule for anything, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have like how about this then? Do you have like a routine, like a special mug you like best or something? Uh, <laughs> I, I I like it to be. Dark. I, I can't I can't go to the park and write in Texas. It's like 112 degrees in the summer and very oh bright. I can't do that. Uh, it needs to be sort of dark to get me in that 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 dark mood. And I'm I'm always uh listening to music uh some type of music has to be going on uh while i'm writing uh but it could be it could be 2 a.m it could be midday i'll just close the window um yeah it's it's a lot of my students ask uh, uh snhu they ask about writing uh, uh rituals and all that stuff and it's like if i have the time i'm just gonna i'm just gonna sit down some days you're inspired and you get a lot done and some days it's just like you you barely crank out 500 words but it's it's 500 words and maybe you get to keep 200 of those so it's a uh, it's an honest it's an honest day's work <laughs> now i got a random ass question for you but have you any of you guys heard of the uh brazilian rap artist a miss I might be mispronouncing it. Emicida, E M I C I D A. No. No. Okay. All right. I was I, again. It's not Spanish. He's uh, he speaks Portuguese, I believe. Um, but I was listening to that while I read Zero Saints too, because it's it's similar <laughs> to the language. But there's this. Um, me and Cassie have talked about this one band. She might laugh when I name it. El Nino. They I are knew heavy. you were going to say El Nino. <laughs> because they are a band I've listened to since I was uh, like a freshman in high school. And they weave. They're the only other example I've experienced in my life consciously where they weave Spanish with English. And I love it. And I don't know what most of the words are, but it's just it's <laughs> it's heavy. It's basically like you, I imagine, if you were drinking, because there's a lot of screaming in it. I love it. <laughs> Although the lead singer recently uh, is not in it anymore, so I'm not a huge fan of the new one. But, yeah, I just had to leave you with that, that tidbit self- selfishly. Brennan, before we go to what are you reading, I don't want to uh, bypass any questions you may have from the previous topic. The previous – God, you got me thinking about – Portuguese rap now, and I and it completely shoved the previous topic out of my. Head. I was like, what was the previous topic? No, the previous topic was uh, was writing routine, um, and you know, getting words down, and yeah, I you know, I I kind of find myself in the same boat. Um, I had a very very productive quarantine, and I they practically had to drag me back to work, kicking and screaming in September. Um, All right, Trump and. And I've been I've been trying so hard to, you know, kind of keep getting the words down, finding even if it's just like 30 minutes a day uh, time to sit down. And I totally get that there are people who, 
you know, are dealing with stuff like dealing with depression and dealing with anxiety and, and can't do that. Um, I feel very lucky, I suppose that I, I was able to, and it's, it's really awesome that we're getting a bigger than, you know, not that there's anything wrong with the size of coyote songs or zero saints, but we're getting a bigger than average, you know, Gabino novel, um, out of, out of that. So I'm psyched about that. I'm anxiously awaiting that. I'm glad you got shit done, man. That's good. I think it kind of makes me feel a little bit better too. Cause I only just started doing any writing stuff this year just because I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and I was like, Hmm, let's try this. Everybody says it helps with their mental health. And sometimes like I cannot write anything and I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm bad at this. This is not my thing. Like I'm, everybody else is talking about how many words they've gotten written and I'm just sitting here like the, uh. <laughs> and so like, it, it makes me feel a lot better to hear about people that I admire who write and who like, like you, Gabina, who do a lot of like hustling and just constant working and putting stuff out that I'm not a failure and I'm not doing everything <laughs> wrong. No, it's no, really no. easy because writing is such an isolating thing. Like if you don't intentionally interact with other writers, it can feel so lonely and like you're all by yourself. <laughs> and it's you scary. Know that, that, that meme of the, the, the black guy who looks incredulous is just like pouting his lips like, mm. yeah. <laughs> so whenever somebody starts putting up like this magical word counts every single day and they never suck, they're never frustrated. It kind of makes me think like whenever everybody's talking about how awesome their relationships are, it's like, mm. <laughs> here comes the divorce. Uh, and then when they do that, you just keep track and it's like, all right, so you've been cranking out 5,000 words a day for the past six months and published nothing. So are you writing an encyclopedia? Like, what is this thing? <laughs> so don't trust that. We, we wake up in the morning. Some days you're feeling it. Some days you're like, I'm garbage. I suck. I'm, I'm an awful human. I'm a hack and I shouldn't be doing this. Um, and we all suffer from that. You, you suffer from imposter syndrome. Uh, some days you just struggle and some days that's a reality. Some days you cannot put words down. It's just not happening. You're sad. You're depressed. You got something else going on in life. Uh, you're worried about, about COVID or you're worried about your job or your finances or your relationship or something keeps you from doing it. So, uh, you're, you're just remember, you're still a writer on days when you don't write, uh, and then just live, take care of yourself and you, you'll fight to, uh, you'll live to fight another day. And then the next day you just put words down. I always loved that sentiment. You're on, you're, you're, you're still a writer on days that you don't write. Like I consider myself a teacher on weekends. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> in on Saturday, but it doesn't you know, yeah. change that identity. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, it's, it's percolating. It's working. I think it's important that you're like, like you're replying that to teaching too, because like that's, I've seen Gabino's tweets sometimes and I'm like, okay, I haven't written anything in a couple of months, but I'm doing some art shit right now. And like, I'm like, I'm still an artist, even if I literally do not have anything that I want to paint right now. Like I cannot think of how to make this look good. It looks like trash. That's fine. I can still do art. Maybe not today, but tomorrow I can do art again. <laughs> so let's jump to what are you reading right now? Let's start with Gabino. All right, I got like 20 pages left on Jeremy Robert Johnson's The Loop, uh, which is amazing. It's his best book yet, and I've said that about every Jeremy Robert Johnson book since day one. Uh, 
I got probably four or five stories left on uh, an anthology called Tiny Nightmares, which is pretty friggin' amazing. Um, what else am I reading right now? Uh, oh, I started uh, Jonathan Mabry's Inc. last night, which should be out uh, in a couple days, I think on the 17th. Uh, I'm only about 30% in, but it's moving very fast for such a thick book. So I'm digging it. And um, I started something else. Oh, uh, uh, Antioch by Jessica Leonard. Uh, and then the other stuff I can't tell you because it's for blurbs and stuff. But uh, those, those are the ones that I'm reading right now. Nice. Uh, yeah, Mayberry told us about Ink, and it sounds super badass, man. Yeah. So that's a book that I want to pick up. Um, Cassie, let's jump to you. What are you reading right now? Um, so I'm actually, I just finished Zero Saints Day, and then I also finished one of the Pikecast books. So I'm reading Horrid by Katrina Leno or Lino. I'm not sure how to say it, but it's the Ladies of Horror Fiction book for this month. Um, and it's like one of the rare occasions that I'm only, oh no, I'm actually, I'm reading an anthology too. Cause I was going to say there's only one, but, uh, Graveyard Smash, the Women of Horror anthology. I'm reading that one too. Uh, Candy Press, they sent it to me and I like it so far. Um, there's a lot of people that I hadn't read before in it. So I really like when you get to introduce yourself to new people through an anthology and it's kind of all around a central theme. So you're like, I know what I'm getting. Like if I want creepy circus stuff, I'll go to the creepy circus antho. Like if I want this, I'm going here. So I'm liking it. Hmm. Interesting. Brennan. Uh, so first of all, I would say, Gabino, I'm always psyched to meet a kindred spirit who can't just read one thing. Um, like I, and I, and I love the way you phrased it too. You're like, I just started this and not even I'm in the middle of like five books, but like, I just started like seven books last night. Um, <laughs> I am in the middle of about 10, but, uh, I'll just, I, I'll talk about one. Um, I started, um, the five turns of the wheel by Stephanie Ellis, um, just this morning. And it's, it starts off with, uh, it's, it, so it's, it's folk horror and it starts off with this like creepy ass poetry to kind of set up the mythos that you're gonna that that you're kind of diving into. And you know, even just in the first couple chapters, she really nails down that rural folk that you know you're not gonna be able to trust vibe. <laughs> um, I'm very interested to see where it goes. It's got an awesome cover by uh, Keelan Burke. Cool. Pat, how about you? Uh, so like Cassie, I just finished Zero Saints earlier this morning or last night. I don't know. Time doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> um, and I jumped into Ghoul, which I put down in this summer to read a bunch of other books for the show that uh, I unfortunately didn't get to read Ghoul until now. But yeah, jumping back into that is real easy. Getting back on the saddle, it's it's Brian Keen. It's really easy to read. Um, yeah. and I'm reading We Are Wolves, uh, the anthology put together by Cena Paleo, Laurel Hightower, Laurel Hightower, I can't speak today, and, uh, Gemma Amore. Um, yeah. I it's just awful. finished, yeah, I just finished Laurel's story, uh, Cena's story's first, and Gemma does the forward. Um, they just keep breaking me. <laughs> they keep, <laughs> a mother that writes, I mean, not, I'm, and, I shouldn't say that because Cassie's not I a knew you human. Were gonna, I'm not offended. It's totally no, 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 no. But it's completely wrong because you. I compare you to Laurel Hightower. You're the only person I've done that to. You shouldn't. I'm not that. Okay, good. I'm just gonna say this. They are very good. 
because uh, I've read Cassie's story in it too, and and she's not currently a mom, but her story is just as powerful. So please forgive me for that. Um, they they write great stories. I can't say it any other better way. Um, it's a it's a who's who of of contemporary horror female voices. Yeah, that's you are so that's yeah. smarter than me. Nice. <laughs> Now, before we go, sir, is there anything that you want to tell us or is there a link that you would like in the edit, uh, the the um, notes for this episode, uh, any links, anything that you want people to know? Uh, well, now we have to put in uh, Cassie's Etsy story. In there. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, this whole hour was just a waste of time. <laughs> um yeah i mean we talked about a lot of books uh let's let's try to remember a few of them and 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 put them in there uh so people can go buy them okay cool yeah (laughs) i'll do my best to send you a list (laughs) okay yeah you're a hard man to get in touch with sometimes i'll 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 like I, i think you're okay with me saying this if not tell me to go fuck myself um I like I like try I feel like such a pain in the goddamn ass. I'm I'm like, hmm, should I text him? Hmm. Okay. Now should I message him? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> everybody has my cell phone. Uh everybody my my DMs on Twitter are open as of the beginning of the year. Uh so like if you send me something early on in the morning, I'm not gonna see it until you like bounce it back to the top later in the day. <laughs> Cassie's oh. the same. <laughs> I know. I ignore them all day and it's not on purpose. It's just because I forget I see it and then I forget to go back to it. And then there'll be like loud noises or a bunch of emojis, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> and I, I I will say this in, in, in Cassie's defense. Only reason I eventually get to them is because I'm a dude. If I was a woman, I would not open my DMs. Just like, <laughs> I would stay at that dark hole forever. It's like, you need uh, come to my house. That's about it. <laughs> like I'm not opening any DMs or, or texts or anything. Did you guys ever see that Dave Chappelle episode when he had that show for three years? It's a skit where he's on like in the internet in person and it's just this random dude that pops up and he's talking he's like <laughs> he's yes, like at a bar <laughs> yeah. there's this one guy that pops up though and he says uh starts talking about uh dick pills uh i imagine that's like uh kind of what you're getting at <laughs> minus the pills yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> And in case you didn't know, this is the dick that I was talking about. Here's a photo of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's worse, too, is when they send it to you and then they pretend they didn't mean to. They're like, oh, that was supposed to be for my wife. I'm so sorry. I've had that happen more times than I can count. What? <laughs> it, like, what? How? Why? Get out of here with that. Gross. I would I would probably get kicked out of Twitter because if I eventually – if I was a woman and I eventually opened all my D- DMs, I would screenshot – every single day <laughs> and then just put it out there like hey were you and i would tag them hey were you wondering what so-and-so's junk looked like <laughs> oh my <God>. you, go. <laughs> you know what would be funny uh there'd be a lot of homework involved with this but if you were able to like screenshot that picture of their face their phone number and in their neighborhood say this dickhead's missing 
just here's the number. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like that'd be the ultimate punishment. They have like a think. reward if found. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gabino, where can people follow you? <laughs> Uh, you can send all your dick pics to, uh, no, uh, it's, uh, he's like, please don't do that. Never mind. I'm just kidding. No, Take that out. Just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. You people, you need to understand. It was a joke. Uh, somebody stole my name. It was, it was, it's some dude with like two followers and an egg for a profile picture. So I had to, I had to do the annoying thing and add an underscore. So it's, uh, I'm, I live on Twitter nowadays. It's, it's, uh, Gabino, G-A-B-I-N-O underscore, uh, I-G-L-E-S-I-S, Gabino Iglesias. I mean, Gabino underscore Iglesias. Twitter, uh, come find me there. That's where we talk about books. And, uh, you know, once in a blue moon, we might post about politics or, or something, <laughs> something engaging like that or, you know, talk about racism or I don't know. That's what happened with our Twitter handle. Some asshole from 2013 who hasn't used it since then has dead headspace. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? So to cover this entire episode, if you don't go to Cassie's Etsy store – Go oh fuck God. yourself. <laughs> if you got a problem with Gabino using his native tongue, go fuck yourself. And if you want to vote us off the island, go fuck yourself. We <laughs> right. hope everyone else has everybody, a good day. Everybody else, we love you. What's, you just uh, kind of cut out. What would you say? Everybody else, that doesn't. none of that applies to you, then we love you. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so, signing out. Brennan, as always, thank you for being my co-pilot, sir. Cassie? You have done a great job per usual. And Gabino, uh, I hope that you and I continue to show because Cassie and Brennan are quieter. So I hope you and I continue to tell uh, everyone to go fuck themselves because that's pretty much my uh, send out now, it seems like. (laughs) I remember we were talking to Michael David Wilson. I said, if you don't watch This Is Hard, go fuck yourself. So I'm not joking when I say I do use that tagline. Uh, no, thank you uh, to the three of you for uh, for putting up with me for a little while and then uh, having me here in your, uh, I guess, digital home. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we can do it in real life. And, uh, yeah, we're in the Matrix right now, but hopefully in the real world one day. Uh, everyone else, have, uh, have a nice go fuck yourself. <laughs> we are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving Deadhead Space. In a most colorful... (laughs) Fuck that up. (laughs) I wrote something new that I normally wouldn't say, but I just thought I would make her laugh. Um, It worked. Brennan? You you look like you are... He looks startled. (laughs) Yeah. He's just Brennan. All right. Sorry, man. No, no, it's okay. You know what it is, man? It's it's this Thursday night thing is throwing me off. Um, And this is going to sound absolutely terrible, but I usually have a drink when we're recording one of these, but I got to get up at like 5 a.m. tomorrow. So I'm not sure how to do one of these completely sober. (laughs) Drink lots of coffee like I do. Right now, I'll never go to sleep. (laughs) Okay. So moving (laughs)